I'm excited about this series. Are you? You're not sure yet. That's okay. Second service was like really quiet. And so I was like, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're not. So anyway, uh, we're going to spend, and if you don't know this, if you haven't been here, starting next Sunday, we're going to spend five weeks or so, if we feel like we need to go a little longer, we will, talking about the toughest subjects in the world today. And I actually really enjoy teaching on these things. We've done it before. Usually, like once every three years or so, we'll bring up a series like this. They're always a little bit different topics, but we've talked about things like divorce, suicide, homosexuality, all the things everybody's afraid to really talk about, politics, things like that. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm excited to talk about these things. But, uh, but what's really cool and different about this is that I won't be choosing the topics. You will. You have the chance to weigh in on what you want me to talk about. Okay? And the reason why I'm doing it this way is because even though we know, I know what some of the big topics are, I might not know what topics are on your heart and what things you've been focused on. And so this is kind of the statement that's been going around my mind that led us to like having you guys ask uh, what we should talk about. It's this, if people are talking about these topics in the foyer at church, we should be talking about it from stage. And you know, churches so often skirt the issues and don't talk about them and just try to avoid them. And because of that, they lose uh, connection with their people and their people aren't exactly sure how to live in the world and address these topics. And so we need to talk about them. So, but the, the part that you play, there's, there's two jobs you have to do. How many jobs are there? Two. Okay, job number one, thing number one I need you to do is I need you to get one of the comment cards from the pocket in front of you. Preferably one of the old ones, not the new one you just saw up there. But if there isn't a new old one there, we're using up the old ones. I didn't even realize it was going to work out that way, but we are. Um, if there's no old one in front of you, grab a new one, doesn't matter. And there's a comment section on the back of that card. And I want you in the comment section to write down one topic. How many topics? One topic. Do not write a list. If you write a list, I will throw your card in the garbage. I did that this week because somebody didn't follow the rules. You are allowed to have one. So it might have been your card if you made a list. Bummer for you. I'm not going to sift through your list, okay? You get one. The reason why it's one is because we're stacking the cards in categories and the highest stacks get the main time for those Sundays. And I can't put your card in, have two things on it, so you write two on it, garbage, all right? But if you write one, how many topics? One. Then we will add them to the piles. Now, I'll tell you, we've got five that are pretty high already. And so if last week you, you wrote a topic that you, yeah, if you don't have a card, ask somebody around you and they can get you one or grab one after service. Put the card in the giving stations and we'll just compile or give them to any staff member and we'll make sure we get them. Um, so I already know my topic for next Sunday, and I'll share that with you later, okay? So I'll prepare you for that. So you might want to wait a little bit before you actually write it on there. If you already did, it's not a big deal. Cross off at the end when I talk about what next week is. Uh, but, um, but you had a chance to vote last week if you were here, so you could have two votes, okay? So if you really want the subject you talked about to be talked about or that you wrote down, then write it again, and it'll add to the pile. But if you think that subject has got enough merit on its own, then write another topic you want to hear. What we'll do is we'll try to cover all the big topics that are, that are selected, but we'll try to also cover as much of the other, other ones, the more random ones, in the context of everything we're doing. Okay? That's job number one. How many jobs did you have? Two. Second job is, if I'm going to do this for you, you need to bring somebody. You need to bring a friend. 
okay? You probably know somebody who doesn't go to church because they feel like the church never covers all of the tough subjects or the, the church is always angry or mean about these subjects. I want you to go to those people and invite them. And when they say, I don't think I want to be there, say, no, our pastor is not just going to condemn these, these sins or just hammer people, but he's also going to challenge all of the Christians in the room to live differently too. And invite them to come. Do whatever you got to do. Buy them breakfast, you know, coffee, big B. Show up at their door. Drag them out of bed. Whatever you have to do. <laughs> get them here. Okay? Wow. Very committed people. Okay. So what we're doing last week and this week is I'm teaching two messages to try to p- prepare all of us in this room to be ready for this. And so last week I talked about how God likes to use imperfect people to complete his plan or his will, to fulfill his plan. And you and I are all imperfect, aren't we? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Amen? We all have done that, right? But I want to just say this. God does not disqualify you because you are imperfect. God does not disqualify you because you are imperfect. No, more, than, more often than not, you disqualify yourself. And it's not that you've sinned and that disqualifies you. It's that you tell yourself you're not qualified. Because you know what's going on in your life. You know what you've been through. You know the things you've said and you've done. And so you think you're not good enough. But God never said that you weren't good enough. You said you're not good enough. And see, when you tell yourself that you're not good enough, you stop yourself right in your, in your tracks. And it's not that God doesn't want to use you. It's that he can't because you have already been your own judge. And so it's really important that as we talk about some of these big subjects that we're going to in the next couple weeks, that when you're sitting in these chairs, some of them are going to poke at you. Because you're going to go, oh, that's me. Oh, I've been through that. Oh, I did that. Or, oh, I'm doing that. And I want to tell you today that you need to sit back and understand that God has forgiven you. If you've made Jesus Lord of your life, he's forgiven you if you are working towards his direction. Now, if we're just sinning and sinning and sinning and just acting like it's no big deal, that's a problem. Okay, we'll talk about that. But, but you don't need to condemn yourself. There is no longer con- any condemnation through Christ Jesus, right? You're free from that. And so I just want you to be prepared. We're going to talk about tough stuff, and, uh, and you need to not condemn yourself or disqualify yourself, all right? So today I'm going to talk about another pitfall that we might get into with this series that I think we have to talk about. But before I tell you what it is, let's bow our heads and pray. Ask the Lord to lead us. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you uh, for the word that you've put on my heart. And God, I thank you for everybody who's in this room because I think we all need to hear this in order to be ready for what, what you're bringing to us next week. We ask that your Holy Spirit guides everybody who puts a, a, a name on, on a, or a, a title on a card so that we can be speaking about what you think we really need to cover. God, today as I speak, I know it's the words coming out of my mouth, but God, let people hear what you need them to hear. God, I pray that we have ears that hear your voice, hearts that understand what you're telling us, and minds that want to live out the instruction you're giving us. And, and just, just lead me as I share what you've put on my heart today. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. All right, you guys ready? I've been through two of these already. It's been fun. Um, today I'm going to talk about being judgmental of other people. Better yet, I, I, the statement is, who really is the judge? Okay? So let me, let me start by doing this. There's something we need to discuss before we even get into this, this scriptural context of things. 
And you need to like accept a few things this morning before we get going. One thing is this, is that most people in Western culture do not consider themselves to be Christians. They don't. Now, they might say that they, go, they, they, they were raised in church. They might even use the term Christian, but, but few of them actually believe in the authority of Scripture. Few of them actually apply it to their lives. And few of them would actually profess a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Can we agree on that? That is pretty much true. We live in a world that is ruled by the devil. Okay. So if that is the case, I have to ask this question. Why are Christians continually shocked that non-Christians live like non-Christians? Why are you so shocked about this? Why are you surprised that people who don't believe in Jesus would live like they don't believe in Jesus? I mean, you've, you've maybe said some of these statements. You've heard these, these statements said about people in the world in general. And I'll just list a couple of them here. So people make statements, Christians make statements like, doesn't anybody believe in marriage anymore? Man, I can't get over how many people today smoke weed. <laughs> right? Like, can you believe that those people sleep in instead of going to church? Did you hear they moved in together? How awful. Or this one. What's wrong with our government? Why don't they uphold biblical values? Like, whenever I hear that, I want to, like, shake somebody. Like, 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 why in the world would you expect people who are non-Christians to live like Christians? We are in the world, but not of the world. Well, if they're of the world, then they're of the world, right? So why are we getting, we're so hung up. Like, people who don't follow Jesus aren't going to act like they follow Jesus. Okay, I had to get that off my chest a little bit. And I want to just say, don't get me wrong. I think, I know, my opinion is that living with Jesus is the best way you can live. I'm a believer, a billion percent. I know that if you apply godly, biblical instruction to your life, your life will be better. That you will live a destiny you never imagined. That you will have hope when there is hopeless times in your life. And I do believe that if you live the way the world tells us to live, that you will see pain and destruction and depression and anxiety and frustration and broken relationships and broken hearts. That is the way of the world. Okay? And so I believe this wholeheartedly. But, but, that being said, the church has a problem today. The church has a problem with pointing our finger at those people. And judging them for living a non-Christian life. So with that in mind, we have to ask this question is, were we ever instructed to judge anybody? Were you ever instructed to judge anyone? James 4.12, listen to this. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. Is that you? No. It continues. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Seems pretty clear to me. But let's look at it in wider context, a little bit wider context, because I think it's also not good to cherry pick a scripture and use it for your purpose, right? 
It is important that you look at it. So um, it's not a big section of Scripture where James writes about this. So we're just going to look at the Scripture that comes right before it and then the Scripture we read. James 4.11 says this. It says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. Stop right there. You're not stopping. You're reading the rest of the Scripture right now. I know that. So I'll just read it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Okay? So I'd like to point out two things. I didn't do this in the last service, but it just jumped out to me. And I thought about it in last service, but didn't do it. The first thing is, is people go, well, that's talking about brothers and sisters. So do not judge people who are already Christians. People try to pull that card. But the fact of the matter is, is every lost person is one decision away from being your brother or sister. And the Bible also talks in many other places about other people, those people, right? It does. And about how we are not the judge. You are not the judge. Okay, so let me me kind of just rewind to the last sentence of that, verse 11. It says, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. What's that saying? It's saying this. When you use the law, the law were the rules in the Old Testament that were applied, people were supposed to apply to their life in order to live righteously enough to be connected to God. By the way, those people in the Old Testament were born into the family of God. Okay? But let's just for our purposes say, let's just talk about all believers. Okay? So what that's saying, again, is when you use the law, the, the rules in the Old Testament or, or anywhere in the Bible, to point out people's sin. You're not actually keeping the law or upholding the law. You are judging people. That's what it says. You are sitting in judgment on it. You are judging people. And then it points out that that's not your job. It never was. It never is. It's never going to be your job. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So this is the thing. Are you having fun yet? I'm having a great time up here. Every service has been really quiet. A few laughs, but they're all nervous laughs. Okay. The problem is, we're seeing this all the time. Social media has been, I believe, the downfall of Christianity. You don't, by the way, you don't need to see if your neighbor's cat can learn a new trick. You don't need to be on Facebook that often, okay? Nobody cares about the cat. And by, for that matter, you don't need to post your cat. Okay, like, I don't want to see it. Uh, no, do whatever you got to do. But, but we've seen it all the time. People, especially social media, because it seems faceless. People, Christianity, Christians are becoming accusers of other people. A couple weeks ago, I talked about what the meaning of the name Satan means. Did you know that the meaning of the name Satan means the accuser? So if you're using your social platforms or your words or anything like that to accuse other people of sin, you're putting yourself in the same category as Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in Satan's category. He is the accuser, not God's people. But we have walked ourselves right into it. Accusation has become a character trait of Christianity, and the world thinks so. No, not me. Well... Maybe not you, but the rest of Christianity, and that's how the world feels about it. So how are we going to change that? It needs to change, especially when the Christians who are accusing other people of sin are committing the same sins. Because that's a reality that's happening.
today. So I want to use, I have a little story, I'll make it up, but to give you a a picture of understanding this whole concept, right? So um, today is my dad's 70th birthday. And after service today, we're going to go to my sister's house. And she lives on a lake. They live on a lake, her and her husband. And uh, the kids are going to swim, even if it's not sunny. They don't care. I care. I'm not swimming. Uh, But anyway, they have a raft. And every time we go there, all the kids go out on the raft and they play king of the raft. Anybody ever do that before? King of the mountain or something like that? You know, where you're pushing each other off and whoever's like on it is the king. Right? And so we have four boys. My sister and her husband have four boys. My other sister has two boys. So it's awesome. And we, we sit on the deck and we watch the battle royale. And I'd be lying if we said we didn't place some bets on our boys out there. I mean, not money bets, but definitely pride bets. My son's stronger than your son. Like, let's just, let's see how this goes down. So anyway, it's going to happen today. They're going to play King of the Raft. And we're going to sit there and we're going to watch them and it's going to be hilarious. And, uh, but you know what's going to happen is they're going to do this for a while. And then all of a sudden we're going to hear a cry. And more than likely what will happen is one of my boys will come up to me and go, Dad. Calvin pushed me off the raft. Calvin's his cousin, my sister's son. And he was mean, you know. And what, see, the thing is, is because I'm his father, he thinks that I will take his side. And that because I love him, that I will go to Calvin, who is not my son, and, and I will discipline him. Or I'll go, Brian, take care of your kid. What's wrong with you? That's what he wants me to do. He wants to accuse Calvin of something. The problem is, is I, the father, have been watching. And I have seen that he was doing the same thing. Following? Okay. So, if, if I'm a good father, and if I choose to discipline Calvin or have his dad discipline A good father would look at his son and say, you are doing the same thing, and so you will be disciplined too. Following me? (laughs) That's my story. Let's look at God's. Romans 2, 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's the Bible. That's not my story anymore. Listen to verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such, thing is ba- such things is based on truth. You know what? As the father, I know the truth is that they were all pushing each other off. So it doesn't matter what I hear from my, my son. I know what was really happening. Listen to this. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Because God knows the truth. Everybody say truth. So okay. So when we, as believers, point out and make judgments about non-believers, we better be really careful. Because if our lives aren't living truthfully for the Lord, we are just as guilty as they are. Scripture's not done. Verse 4, 
This is great. Listen to this. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, to change? Basically, this last statement sums up the Christian's mistake, mistaken point of view, that because they're connected to Christ, they can keep on sinning and they'll never face judgment. And if you're not connected to Jesus and you sin, you will face judgment. This is what Christians are mistakenly believing. That's saying that it's okay to take advantage of God's grace and mercy. But that's not it. This, this debunks that. It says God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Everybody say repentance. You know what repentance is? It's when you're facing the sin, you repent from it, you turn 180 degrees, and you walk away from it in the other direction. But the problem is, is we, many of us, many of you, I'm saying you because let's be real, right? It, we, we have said that we have Christ in our lives. When faced with repentance, we continue to walk towards the sin while simultaneously pointing out the whole group that's walking with us in that sin. And that's got to change. That has to stop. That's not why God wants... No, the reality is, is when you accept Christ into your life, if you really did, you should be motivated and focused on lining your life up with the Word of God. It is on you to walk out the repentance. 180 turn and walking in God's direction instead of sin's direction. It's up to you. It should lead you to change. So why am I talking about this today? What's the point? It's because next week when we dive into these tough topics, it would be natural to think, for Christian people to think, he's just going to talk about how bad those sins are. Well, I'm going to talk about the biblical truth of what those sins are. But in reality, I'm going to challenge you to change. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to I'm, I'm put the pressure on you to change. Because so many of us in this place we say that we're believers, but like I said in the beginning, we don't believe in the authority of Scripture, and we don't really have a personal relationship with Christ because we've never really walked or ran or moved in his direction. I told you you weren't sure if this was going to be enjoyable or not. No, I, ho I hope we're learning here. I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. I'm, I'm constructively criticizing <laughs> And you know what? We all need to change. I am Pastor Ross, and I approve this message for my own life. I have areas in my life where I need to change. I'm going to be challenged every week on Tuesday and Wednesday when I write my message, and then you're going to be challenged on Sunday with the same things I was challenged with because these, are, these things you're going to bring up are going to be topics that I'm faced with right now in my own life. And so I'm willing to change. Are you? I'm willing to be refined by the Father. I hope you are too. That's what this is going to be really about. Okay? I just think, and kind of my statement here is, instead of judging other people who are outside of relationship with God, why don't we make the focus of our lives to help people meet Jesus? We don't need to point out their sin. We don't need to judge them. We just need to get them in a relationship with Jesus where he can begin to refine their heart. Right? Let me double down on this real quick in closing today. And, and I don't want I don't want to like hammer it, but I told the music team we could we could go a little bit longer in worship because I was bringing the hammer today. <laughs> so so, anyway, um, so I, I want to make a few 
points about judging non-believers here. And these are just a, a few points. You don't even have to write them down. They, they may seem obvious to you, but I'm going to bring them out into the, into the light today. The first thing is this. It, number one is most non-Christians, they're more committed to their values than you are to Christ. Think about it. It's hard for them to be a hypocrite because they believe something and they live it. Think about the LGBTQ community. They live and believe their values stronger than you live and believe for Jesus. And that's not, I'm not again trying to accuse you. I'm trying to say this should be something, guys, if they're more committed to what they believe than you are, then you have lost credibility with them. If you're truly sold out to Jesus, they should know it, not because you got on a street corner with a sign and said you're going to hell if you're a sinner. They should know it because it's who you are. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in this series. The stack is growing. But something that, that they have grabbed a hold of, that we as Christians need to grab a hold of, is the belief that that is who we are, that you are a child of God and that that is the way you will live. That is everything you are. You are completely committed to it because guys, if you're not, their commitment will overshadow yours. Following? Okay. They're, they're often more committed. So we need to be people who are like, how can I live more like Christ? How can I be seen more like him? How can, I, how can people not hear me tell them it, but see it coming out of me? And I like to just say this. Jesus never went to the cities that he went to and blamed pagans or non-believers for being pagans. But he did go to every city and challenge every one of the religious people to act more like God. Number two, this is big. Your disapproval of those people is destroying any relationship and influence you might have had with them in the first place. This happens more often than not. I've, I've counseled people through stuff like this where, where parents have a child uh, come out as a homosexual and their disgust and repulsion and just surprise pushes their child away. And they lose relationship and they lose influence with them. God never said, reject people in my name. God never said, be disgusted with people in my name. He said, love people in my name. Pray for people in my name. Restore people in my name. Build people up in my name. And if, if your disapproval is so strong and so vocal that, that they hear it, they're going to they're gonna run away. They're going to get away from you. Think about it. How much time do you give people give to people who oppose you? None. I know, and I, I'm the most judgmental Christians out there in the world, they have zero relationships with anybody who's not a believer. And that's a problem. Jesus was all about relationship. And you know who he targeted? The unbelievers, the non-believers. Because it is through relationship that they had connection. Third, last one. Judgment is a terrible evangelism strategy. <laughs> it's terrible. Think about it. How many people are just lining up to get judged by you every day? 
I mean, go to the courthouse. How many people are just lined up? You know what? I'm a criminal today. I'm just going to go to the court and see what they say. Like, no, those people run away from the judge. And they get, they get caught by the police and they get drugged into the judge's presence. Do you want to have to have somebody drag somebody into your presence so you can berate them and tell them how awful they are? Nobody's lining up to be judged. And you will just push people away. It's a, it's a terrible... I would argue that there's not one person in this room. Maybe there's one, but it's doubtful that there's even one person in this room who came to Jesus because somebody else judged them. You came to Jesus because somebody cared enough about you. And, and they shouldn't have cared about you, but they did care about you. And because of that, you, you felt loved enough to hear what they had to say about Jesus whether it was at church, whether it was at work, whether it was at a sporting event, or it was a friend, or a coworker, or a parent, whoever it was, you were influenced by love, not hate. And so we have to change the way that we approach people that we live. I'm gonna challenge you every single week, every major topic, to see people through God's glasses, through his lenses, instead of your own and instead of the world's. It's not going to be easy, so pray for me. But I'm asking you to be open to really saying, God, search my heart. That's Psalm 129 prayer, 139 prayer, where he says, Search my heart, O God. Find in me if there's anything that needs to be done away with and help me walk away from it. Help me get rid of it. We need to be praying that prayer. I want to read this scripture. to really, It really, I think, exemplifies how we should respond to people how we should deal with people. And it's gonna be, I don't know if this scripture will be it, but this is gonna be part of the theme for the whole five weeks. First John 4, 7 says, uh, Carrie used this at the night of worship uh, uh, last week. It says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Listen to verse eight. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And I would challenge some of us in this room today, if you're not exemplifying the love of God in the things you say, in the actions that you live out, I would question whether you're connected to him at all. Verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, a payment for our sins. Then it says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The point is, is that God tells us to love other people to Jesus. It's not your job to change them. It's your job to get them introduced to Jesus because he's the one who does the transformation in people's lives. It is up to him, the one judge, the one who can really look at, at somebody's heart and know where they're at. And he's also the only one who can change that heart. So next week we're gonna start. And I'm gonna tell you, I, I'm, I might not do this every week, but I wanna, I feel, felt today led that I should tell you what the first topic's gonna be. Because I think you know people who are in these, this situation and they need to be here. People who, whether they ever come back to this church or not doesn't matter, but this next week might be important for them, for their future with the Lord. This week, uh, this coming week, I'm gonna talk about marriage, biblical marriage. I'm gonna talk about divorce and I'm gonna talk about marriage after divorce. 
Now, there will be some other things that will be wrapped in around that that I'll probably, you know, try to answer some other questions that are on the table on the cards that are related. But the reason why I'm telling you this is because I know, and I've had a lot of conversations with people who were shunned or pushed away by the church because they went through a divorce. And so because of that, they feel like they could never be used by God. How many know that God loves to use imperfect people? I'm, I want you to get them here to th this next week this next Sunday, because they need to hear how God really sees them. We'll talk about the tough part, but then we're gonna talk about what God really thinks about them and how he really sees them, and they need to hear it, okay? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for every person in this room. Thank you for your word. Thank you that I got to read your words and I didn't have to come up with them on my own. Um, God, I know that sometimes these messages can feel heavy or they can feel... Uh, I guess condemning, but God, we don't believe that, that there's condemnation here. I don't believe that that's the purpose that you put on my heart for today. Instead, maybe some conviction, maybe some uh, motivation to change the way we talk and act and live. But God, I pray that this next five weeks is filled with opportunity to tell people how valuable they are, for us to realize how valuable we are. God, I pray that this five weeks that it is you speaking, that your, your Holy Spirit leads us into each one of these topics and speaks your truth, not just to the unbelieving heart, but to us, our believing hearts. God, we need you more now than ever in our current society, in the world that we're in. We need you, we need your direction, we need the Holy Spirit guiding us. So we just ask that you do this each and every day in our lives as we walk out who you want us to be and where you want us to go everybody's eyes closed if you're here you know I always if you've been here before you know I always give you the opportunity today if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life to do that what do I mean by that if you're wondering about that I mean that, that God put together a plan so that you could be made righteous that no matter what you've done in your life no matter what you might feel guilty or shameful about whatever it is any of the sins we're gonna talk about things we're gonna talk about in the next five weeks that God made a plan to wash those things away so that you could again have relationship with God. So you could be close with him. So you could live a purpose, a life that he created for you. The Bible says that he's the author of your life, but you can't live that story without making him the leader of your life. And so today you can make a choice to make Jesus Lord of your life and allow him to lead you. And so if you're here and you wanna do that, in just a second, I'm gonna ask you, if you wanna do that, to raise your hand. But beyond that, one, you can know that you're going to heaven after this life, eternally with God. Two, you can know that you have a purpose here in life and that God's leading you to it. And third, you get to live out a destiny you couldn't do on your own. So if that's you today and you want to make that decision with everybody's eyes closed, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody that knows they want to make that decision? Awesome. I see those hands. I see a whole bunch of hands. I see those hands. All right, you can put your hands down. I just want to say today, it doesn't matter that I saw your hand. It matters that God sees your heart. And his word is really clear that the way to make Jesus Lord of your life is one, to believe in your heart that Jesus really is God, that he rose from the dead, that he loves you, that he's done all these things for you. And the second is that you declare it with your mouth. So we'll say a prayer where you actually say you want to make Jesus Lord, but it's more than this prayer. It's that you 
walk into this repentance 180 kind of life with God and you start moving in his direction and you work hard to live the way he wants you to live and you get to experience the God life that he has for you, the life that he wrote for you. So we're all gonna pray a prayer together. If you're praying this prayer uh, and you raise your hand, you're inviting Jesus into your life to be Lord. If you've prayed it before, you're part of the church family, you're inviting these people into our family, into God's family today. So let's pray this together. Repeat after me, say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, defeat the grave, and to rise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness and I'm committed to repentance. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't wanna live my way anymore. I wanna live your way. So lead me into the life you created for me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate together. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If this message touched you in any way and you'd like to talk to someone at the church, you can reach us online at rlcbr.org. Search for us on Facebook. And if you're in the Big Rapids area, visit us on Sunday morning at our location in Big Rapids or the church right across the street from Menards.